Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak words to us this evening. Words that reveal your Son. Words that strengthen our hearts. Amen. Looking out, I imagine that there's a few of you who said, I wish that I'd brought sunscreen. It is a bright day, and we are learning again what it feels like to be outside. I'm grateful to see you. There are certain conversations that I wish that I could have listened to. And the one that Jesus had with his disciples on that Easter evening in the upper room is one of them. He looks at them and he says, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. And then he proceeds to take the scriptures and to explain to his disciples everything in them that pointed to him. I can't imagine all that he showed them that we have missed. All the pieces that just go flying right by us that we never notice. I wish that I could have heard him explaining the scriptures. The reality is, though, is that the disciples had already heard these words. Just a few chapters prior, as they were coming close to Jerusalem, right before the triumphal entry, Luke tells us this. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. Just two weeks prior, he had told them this same message, and he'd even gone to the scriptures and said, look at all these places that tell you what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen to me. But Luke tells us three times, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. These things were hidden from them. And so Jesus did what he oftentimes does in the Gospels. Whenever his disciples don't understand something they should be able to understand, he turns and finds a blind person and heals them. It's an object lesson. You disciples are blind. And after he told them that he had to suffer, proving it from the scriptures, and they couldn't grasp it, he immediately turns and finds a blind person and heals him. It's his joke on them, saying, boys, you're blind right now. You need to open your eyes, open your ears. The reality is, is that they had heard this a number of times. Ever since they started this trip towards Jerusalem, Jesus had been telling them, this is what's going to happen. And we're told in several instances that he actually told them, here's where you would find this in the prophets. He had explained the scriptures to them and told them what was going to happen in Jerusalem. But each time, they did not understand it. It was hidden from them. Even on this evening, this Easter evening, when he shows up and they still don't understand, remarkably, they've actually already heard of the resurrection. The women had gone to the tomb early in the morning and had come back saying it was empty. 
Peter and John had run to the tomb, Mary Magdalene following afterwards. And Peter and John had looked in and seen that it was empty. And we are told that they actually believed at that moment. Mary Magdalene following afterwards actually met Jesus. Somewhere on the way back from the tomb, Peter actually encountered Jesus as well. Luke tells us this, and Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15, that on that morning, Jesus also appeared to Peter. They show back up, and they're all reporting this message to the other people. What's more, two of the disciples who left Jerusalem and who were walking to Emmaus, they'd had this long conversation with Jesus where he did the same thing, goes back to the Bible and tells them everything about himself. And then in the breaking of bread, their eyes are opened, and they've come back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples, we met the risen Lord. All these things have already happened. And yet when Jesus arrives, listen to what Luke says. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. How did they not know at this point? It's actually startling that they're still frightened and doubtful. Jesus has predicted this multiple times. He's shown it to them through the scriptures. He said, look, I'll prove it to you in the Bible. Mary has seen him in the garden, Mary Magdalene. Peter has encountered him. Cleopas and his wife, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, have met him face to face. They've rushed back to town, and they're all standing in the room together discussing that Jesus has actually left the tomb, and he's appeared to a few of us. And yet, Right then, when Jesus stands among them, they're startled. We would expect grateful rejoicing. We were to expect them to say, it all makes sense. We get it. It all finally makes sense. But when Jesus is there, they doubt. They're frightened. Their hearts are troubled. And they think that they see a ghost. They know what he has told them. And in fact, they believe the testimony of these disciples who've seen him after the resurrection. But somewhere deep in the recesses of their heart, what they know to have occurred and what they believe in their minds has not yet become real in the depths of their being. They're a long way off from trusting to the core of their being that what they know to be true is actually real. This is startling. How can they have heard these things and yet still be troubled and doubting at this moment? The reality is, is that their reaction shouldn't be startling to us. We actually all know what this feels like. After all, how many things do we say or believe to be true in our heads, and yet deep in the recesses of our hearts, we struggle to actually trust that they're real? How many things do we confess that we still struggle deep in the recesses of our being to believe this really is real. What's the place, in other words, where you claim that something is true? And yet, even though you claim it to be true with your mouth, you still have a heart full of anxiety or doubt. You still struggle to believe that it might actually be real. We claim, we believe that God's grace is actually sufficient. We say this with our mouth, and we accept it. We claim that his grace is sufficient. 
Yet there are so many days when we are actually overwhelmed by our own weakness, our own inadequacy, our own failure. That is the only thing that's real to us in the moment. Our hearts, in other words, struggle to trust what we believe with our minds. We believe, we claim, we say that God is sovereign, that he's actually in control. Yet how many days does anxiety take over our hearts? We claim that Christ is in control, and yet we struggle with the deep worry and the depths of our being. In other words, our hearts struggle to trust what we know and what we believe. We believe, we claim that we are adopted by God, that we are loved by him. Yet how many days do we actually, in the depths of our heart, wonder whether he will actually want to be with us, whether he likes us, whether he's pleased with us. In other words, our hearts struggle to trust the things that we claim or know or believe to be true. We believe that there is a resurrection coming. We claim that there is a resurrection coming. Yet we live as if succeeding right now is all that actually matters. We put way too much on momentary success for people who claim or believe that the real hope is in the resurrection. In other words, our hearts struggle to trust what we claim or what we say. How many things are there that are true in our heads and yet we live as if they are not true in our hearts? How many things do we say or believe and yet we still have hearts full of doubt, trouble, and fear? What's the place, in other words, where you say something and yet you struggle to hold on to it? You struggle to trust it? My point in all this is to say that the disciples' reaction actually makes a far more sense than we might otherwise acknowledge. They know one thing, but trusting it to the core of their being is a different story. And we are like that, knowing things and saying things and claiming things that God has forgiven me, and yet believing it down in the core of our being is a different story. He loves me, we say, and yet really in my gut, does he want me close to himself? Y'all get the point. Their reaction makes sense. But look at Jesus' response to the reaction. This is verse 38. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were still dis while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. They are troubled and scared and full of doubt, but he comes and he's gentle and he assures them, he doesn't come in chastisement. He says to them, did you think that I was a ghost? Would you like to shake hands? And even in a bit of humor, he says, I'm hungry. You know, it's Sunday night and the last meal was Thursday night. Could you give me a piece of fish? He's gentle with them and he assures them. He offers them the assurance that they need. He's not harsh saying, guys, why didn't you get it? 
I said it a million times. Why do you still doubt? He doesn't speak with harshness. He offers them the assurance that they need. In other words, he meets them at their place of doubt. He meets them at their place of fear. And he said, I will be present with you here. I will assure you here. He proves himself to them in exactly the way that they need. But then look what he does with them more. This is verse 44. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Once again, he takes the same scriptures that he's taken before, and he speaks words to them that he's already spoken. Again, he doesn't chastise them and say, why didn't you get it? Why didn't you understand? His teaching is gentle. He just simply says, let me explain the scriptures to you so that you will understand He gives them the ability to understand. Verse 45, he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. He gives them spiritual insight. He doesn't offer some fancy theoretical new knowledge. This isn't new teaching. It's not secret knowledge. There's not some special teaching for super Christians that somehow gets them over the hump. Instead, he simply explains himself. He says, this was what my death was about. He explains himself. He says, this was what my resurrection was about. He explains himself. He says, repentance and forgiveness are offered in my name. And then he calls them into that message. It's gentle. It's the same words that he's given to them before. He gives them the ability to look at the scriptures and understand who he is. He gives them the ability to see the things that matter. As an aside... This should reassure those of us who sometimes wonder whether there is a sort of higher version of Christianity, a higher level of knowledge, that if we only knew this extra piece, somehow things would straighten out. The struggles would disappear. Some of y'all, like me, may be tempted by this idea that there's this sort of super version of the Christian out there. And if I only knew what they knew, everything in my life would iron out. There must be some secret that I'm missing. Sometimes we look at others and say, they figured out something that I haven't figured out. And if I got that, I wouldn't have this struggle. Everything would click into place. I wouldn't be anxious or I wouldn't be tempted. God would listen to my prayers. It's reassuring that Jesus doesn't act this way. He doesn't think this way. He's concerned with one thing when he looks at these doubting and troubled and scared followers. He's concerned with one thing, and it's not a secret higher level of knowledge. It's not an extra version of Christianity. He very simply says, can you see me in the scriptures? This is the point that I cannot emphasize enough. He looks at them and he takes the scriptures and he says, can you see me here? This is the answer for them. 
Can you see me? Can you understand me? Peter and John and the others got it, finally. We know that because when Peter's standing in front of the Sanhedrin being questioned, he says very simply, I'm not going to stop talking about the name of Jesus because I've figured out that there's salvation there and nowhere else. John, in that passage that we heard from 1 John, says, I'm writing all of this to you because I want you to have fellowship with God and you have fellowship with him by walking in the light of Jesus. They get it, finally, that the only thing that matters in the end is that I see Jesus clearly, that I walk in his light, that I proclaim his name. This is what Jesus was doing with them. But on that Easter evening before they got it, when they were still scared, when they were still full of doubt, when they were still troubled, when they were still all a mess inside because what they knew or believed to be true had not yet sunk into the recesses of their being where they could trust that it was real. At that moment, at that moment, we can actually learn from them because we are oftentimes like them. We are scared and full of doubt and troubled many days. There are days when we're just overtaken by anxiety. There are days where what we believe to be true and what we confess to be true is not even close to what we experience in the depths of our hearts. We say one thing with our lips, but we are driven by the worry or the fear or the anxiety of a different message entirely. There are days when we are harried and worried, where we squabble in our families we seek to defend ourselves, we get defensive, we strive at work and we worry about our future and about failure. We fight and then fall into temptation and fail yet again. And on those days, the question, Lord, what would you do with me? What do I need? Is there any hope for me on those sort of days? The disciples are a lesson to us in that moment. Because the thing that we need, the answer that we need is the same as what the disciples need that Easter evening. They were worried and troubled, afraid, and they needed very simply Jesus to show up in their midst. They needed Jesus there to actually reveal himself to them. On those days when we are driven more by our worry than what we claim with our mouths, we need Jesus to show up. We need him to show up in his gentleness the same way that he did for those disciples. We need him to open the scriptures to us and say, do you see me? Do you understand me? We need him to speak the words to us that he has already spoken. We've heard the message, but there are days when we need him to speak those same words yet again. Words of comfort, words of presence. We need him to use the scriptures to show us yet again who he is and what he's done. If you feel troubled, it's likely not today. It's too nice a day. It's too beautiful outside. But on Monday morning when reality hits and you feel troubled, when things don't go your way and the defensiveness and the anger rises in your heart, when you hit that day when you go, I doubt, I wonder whether it's true at all. When you have those times where the world is swirling around you, do what the disciples did. Do what the disciples should have done. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you to stand with me in my life. I need you to stand with me and reveal yourself to me again. 
I need you to come to me and speak words that you've spoken before. Speak them again to me. Speak the words of peace and forgiveness back to my soul. At the right time and in the way that you need, the Lord Jesus will reveal himself to you. I'm convinced that Jesus could have popped in on the disciples at any point on that Easter evening. And he waited for that right moment when their hearts were in desperate need of his presence. Speak to him when your heart is troubled and say, Lord, I need you to actually reveal yourself to me. Open my heart to understand you. And he will come not when you want, but he will come at the right moment when he knows it is the right time. He will come in gentleness and he will assure you, he will prove himself to you in the way that you need. Simply ask. Tell him that your heart is anxious and full of doubt and full of fear those days. Don't think that there's some special secret version of Christianity that if only you figured it out, everything would click into place. The Lord Jesus' desire, very simply, is that you would see him. If you were to say, what does it all boil down to? That's really it. The Lord wants you to see him. He wants you to gaze at him. He wants to reveal himself to you. John and 1 John expresses it as fellowship. He wants to be close, tight with you. He wants his life to flow into yours. He wants his words to flow into your mouth. He wants his heart to become your heart. In those days of worry, just speak to him and say, Lord, come close and reveal yourself to me as you revealed yourself to the disciples. Read the Bible with that prayer on your lips. Lord, open my eyes to see Jesus Christ and nothing else. Let me see him. Ask him to speak the words that he has spoken before, the words that we need to hear over and over again, and expect that at the right moment, in his gentleness, he will answer that prayer. Amen.